I am not enough. What would you put in that blank? Okay. What else? Yeah, it's good. It's a participation. What else are we... What other ways do we feel like we're not enough? I am not enough what? Good enough. Good enough? Smart enough. Mm, smart. Strong. Strong. And other ways, I'm not, I'm not rich enough. As a young person, um, I would often want to be more athletic than I was. I loved sports, especially baseball, but I can't hit well enough. I'm not athletic enough. As the most beautiful girl in high school, turned me down flat or didn't even bother asking because I knew she would. I am not good looking enough. And we, we, we fill our minds with all of these ways that we don't measure up. And that also goes in the most ultimate way. And in some ways it kind of begins there. Am I good enough for God? Am I enough for God? Lord, is my obedience enough for you? Is my life sufficient for you? Is my giving, is my service, is, is my volunteering? Yeah, Lord, I, I pray all the time, is that enough? Lord, I memorize your word, is that enough? Lord, I've shared the truth of your word with other people, is that enough? What is it in the back of our hearts and minds that we are expecting God to notice about us that will somehow raise us up in his eyes to make us feel better. This is the human problem. This is not just you and me. This is everyone in one way or another. If we are honest with ourselves, even believers in Jesus, we still have this propensity to go back to earning it, showing myself to be enough, being obedient, looking the part, going to church, and all of those other markers, all of those other outward actions and words, and even attitudes that we embrace that we think, that's got to be enough, God. And these first three and a half chapters of Romans, Paul is dismantling all of that. No matter how good you think you are, if that's what you're depending on in terms of your your connection with God, to be, um, perhaps another word is validation, or to, to be validated with God, to be, to be um, in proper relationship with God. Somehow we want to be enough in His eyes or in the eyes of people. And if we're honest with ourselves also, we learn that the way in which we are treated by people and all of our experiences of life, and all the things we carry with us from childhood even, we then project that onto God. So if, I, if my experience of people in my life, especially my family and my friends, if that experience is one of abandonment, 
then I'm going to believe that God will abandon me too. If my experience is one of rejection, then rejection is what I expect God to do. Because what God is calling us into is relationship with him, as we'll talk about today, through faith and what that means and what it doesn't mean. So then how do we relate to God? Well, the only living example we have is the relationships that we have in this world. And if you are blessed to have loving, positive, healthy relationships in your life, that helps you approach God. But then the absence of those also makes the heart yearn and cry out. So either way, we need to turn to the Lord who is more than enough for us. We're going to go through kind of a verse at a time today, a couple lines at a time, and and you'll you'll see why in a moment. And I'm going to begin at the 21st verse of chapter 3. So again, Paul has just spent the last... You know, two plus three chapters focusing on the condition of mankind, which is broken, which is evil, which every person has participated in some sense into the sinfulness of man. That includes you, that includes me. And now he says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is... A statement now to say to the audience to whom he is writing this letter, this, we think of it as, a, as theology, really. It's, it, it's from the Bible, and he's teaching a lot of theology in it. But his audience is a church, a group of people, not unlike what we have here today with varying backgrounds, and, and we gather together to worship, and they were gathering together, but they were not getting along primarily because of one issue that some of them were Jews who believed in the Messiah, Jesus, which was a big deal and no easy thing for them to do. And then also there was everyone else, the Gentile world, that was also embracing Jesus, and they had their own things they had to give up and sacrifice in order to be part of this, give up their, their gods that they had in their life, and, and, and let go of some of the, the Greek philosophy that many of them were trained in. And, and trust Jesus. And so you'd think these people will all let go of something, would work together and learn about this new thing. It's still pretty new. It's a few decades old at this point. The church of Jesus Christ. You'd think they'd get along and work together. They didn't. And there was this division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in the church. So that's why he says that here once again. The, the law, that is the law of Moses, you know, you use this as, as a sense of pride, unfortunately. Like, we're better than the Gentile believers because we have the law, and you don't. But he's saying that's not what it's about. The law and the prophets speak of this righteousness that he is now revealing, that he is now teaching in great detail. Now, the next verse, I'm going to divide this up in small ways. Uh, just a, a real quick thing about about your Bible, when, when you read the Bible, you see all these numbers in, in, within every book. There's these, these bigger numbers, which of course chapter numbers, and there's the little tiny ones, verse numbers. Do you know where that came from? Paul didn't do it. So when Paul's writing Romans, he didn't say, okay, Lord, help, help inspire me, or whatever he said, I don't know how it exactly happened, but at one point Paul writes, or he dictates to someone else to write. 
which is probably where he did this point. So late in his life, he couldn't see very well. So it, it begins. He didn't say, number one, chapter one, and then go on to say. And then say, verse two, and blah, 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 blah. Verse three, blah, 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 blah. No, there was no numbers. The numbers of chap for the chapters were not added until um, the copies of the scriptures that they had were being copied in monasteries by monks, and I don't remember his name, forgive me, but um, the first monk that we were aware of um, decided, you know what, it'd be easier to find our way around all these books if we had chapters, and so he got permission from somebody to do it, <laughs> probably the Pope, I'm guessing, and um, so they started putting in chapter numbers. A long time later, after the printing press was invented, a printer in a print shop said, you know what, the chapters are great, but they're still pretty long. Let's chop it up in little sections and call them verses. And so some guy who ran a print shop put in the verses. All that to say, there is nothing inspired by the Holy Spirit by the chapters and, and verses and the numbers. So sometimes they got it wrong, not wrong in the sense of it, it, it's, it's messed up, just wrong in the sense that they, they may be put divided at the wrong spot, or it could have been divided better. I'm going to say that here because this verse, um, that's why I have the letter A there. It's just the first half, the first line of the 22nd verse says this. The righteousness is given, this righteousness, the righteousness as Paul speaks of, this new right way of being, this right way of thinking, this right way of worship that is now available through Jesus. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, that's what it says in what I use most of the time is the New International Version. It's probably that in the King James, the most commonly used, popular used uh, English translations. But there's, there's dozens and dozens of them out there. If you go to Bible Gateway, I, I think they have 60 or more um, on BibleGateway.com. Um, but there's a lot out there. If you look in the NIV, though, you'll notice this. All right? Those little tiny letters next to there were like a footnote. So if you know anything about reading the English, you know what a footnote's all about. So you follow the footnote in verse 22 after the word in, through faith in. You drop down to the bottom and you see this. It says, or through the faithfulness of. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, let's plug that in. What that means is the scholars who are translating from Greek into English weren't sure which word to use in the English. And that would be common no matter what language you're translating. The words don't always match up very well, so you have to find the best one that you can. Or, the, or maybe it's several words. It might be several words to express one word, or it might be... One word that in the other language use several words. It, it, it's a very interesting um, discipline learning how to translate languages. Not that I'm good at it, I, I'm not. But the reason they put that here is because it could have gone either way. And I think the second one is, is the better option. And it's not just me, it's scholars a whole lot smarter than me have also looked at this, and we're, I'm going to tell you why, okay? So when you read the first one, 
the righteousness through faith in Jesus, to, through faith in Christ. That sounds good, right? We have faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Well, that sounds right. But when you read it this way, the righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do you see the difference there? In the, the one at the top, it sounds like it's more up to me. I have to have the right kind of faith, the right passion of faith, the right level of faith. Where like I have to conjure up faith. Jesus talked about mustard seed faith. If I have enough faith, I can move mountains. Is that what it means? I have to, to find it somewhere that I have enough faith to believe. But what Paul is really saying, I believe, is the second one. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the faithfulness of Christ is what matters. That song the choir sang last week, the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. Faithful. And that never goes away. And that, what that means then is my belief isn't trying to find enough faith in me. My belief, and even if it is the size of a mustard seed, is saying, Lord, I want what you've given me. I want your faithfulness in my life and to trust you and to learn how to draw life from your faithfulness to me. So I hope you can see that, that subtle but important distinction in the one line of half of the 22nd verse in the third chapter of Romans because it is a better way of seeing that verse to think of it as the faithfulness of Jesus Christ better than the faith that I have inside of me, okay, that I have to conjure up somehow. So then when you look at that verse, you see these, these key words within it you have given. This faith is, this righteousness is given. It is a gift that, that is not earned and cannot be earned, or it would cease to be a gift. Think of the present at Christmas time, or at a birthday party, or any other time. Gifts are given. If the recipient of the gift says, Oh, hold on here. I got, I, I got 20 bucks in here. Is that enough? You know, uh, I got, you know, I, I'll cover you for it. I'll pay you for it later. Are you sure? If, if that is the exchange, it ceases to be a gift. It's not a gift anymore. It is given. No matter how much you want to, how much you desire, you can't earn it. No matter how devout or obedient you are for all of your life, you cannot buy that which has been given from the heart of God to you freely. And there's that word of, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's about how faithful Christ is to me, not how much faith I have in Him. You see that? Because I don't know about you, but I... I believe in Jesus Christ, and my faith is the, is the center of my life, the foundation of my life, but some days it's not there the way it should be. Some days I fail at being faithful to the ways of God. Anybody else do that occasionally? You fall down, you mess up? Yeah. 
But God's faithfulness to me never stops, even when I screw up. He doesn't say, oh, Paul, that was really dumb. So when you get yourself picked up, dusted off, and changed, come on back, and then I'll bring my faithfulness back to you. No, that's not how it works. And again, sometimes that's how people treat us. I will like you, I will love you, as long as there's a limit. That's called conditional love, which really is, you know, what's that word when two words cancel each other out? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work. Love, truest of love, is unconditional. It's not like you, people say unconditional love, that's a good phrase, but there is no other kind. <laughs> True, deep love expressed most beautifully through God in Christ is unconditional. So if I place conditions on love between me and someone else, then that really isn't a loving action. I, I, I'm um, ceasing to love that individual, at least in that moment, in whatever circumstance we have encountered. So God wants us to love in, in, in all circumstances. And because this righteousness is available to all, absolutely everyone. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, and then believe. I choose to base my being upon living. Now notice what I did there. That's kind of the word believe or believing. Kind of drawn out. Being, living. I choose to base my being upon living out the truth, trust, same root word, that Jesus is eternally faithful to me. Would you read that with me together? I choose to base my being upon living out the truth, trust, that Jesus is eternally faithful to me. That's what believing is all about. Believing isn't a head thing. Although it starts there, it's a change of mind. Then it has to translate into the rest of you. It has to grow hands and feet. It has to grow a voice. It has to, it has to grow ears. If belief is just, well, I believe that um, George Washington was the first president of the United States. And if someone argues that for some reason, I'm going to go and get my books and I'm going to say, here's historical record and accuracy. I believe that. Now, that belief doesn't change me. That belief doesn't, maybe it'll inspire me. Maybe the man George Washington at some certain level is inspiring. But belief, if it's just the head, only goes so far. But when I am being, living what God has given to me, that is transformative. That is life-changing. Now, this, um, this next verse is also a case where it's not so much what the, trans, what the, the guy who put the verses in did <laughs> or the translators. It's what we do. Then when I say we, that is the, the evangelical community the, in, in, in all that it is and what I grew up in to be a part of. How many of you um, maybe... Maybe you do it to this day, and I think it's a good practice. Uh, learn this verse as a memory verse, like you committed it to memory. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Okay, so, so we do that. We, we isolate one verse that says something important, and that is, but the danger is that we don't tell the rest of the story, especially when that line, it isn't just the beginning of one sentence which leads to another, or the end of one sentence you have to look back for. This is the middle of a sentence. So what's around that truth that all of us share in, as Paul wrote about for two and a half chapters, the, the sinfulness of mankind that all of us are in some level responsible for. So he's saying more than that. So what is he saying here? That's the full sentence, which goes from the middle of the 22nd verse through the 24th verse. This is the sentence that Paul wrote. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, if all I remember is the sin part and the fallen part, that just makes me feel dirty, rotten, and guilty. And we need that enough to wake us up. We need that enough to say, I need change. We need that enough to begin the, the, the journey of repentance in our life. But we don't stay there. And that is part of the problem that I think the church has is, is when we are so focused on sin in the world that we forget about Jesus, the remedy for the sin. And we expect people to just come to Jesus, come to church, come into Christianity, believe like we believe, but we lay conditions on them that God didn't lay. What is the condition of salvation? Believe in the one that God has sent. To, to walk in the faith that Jesus gave, the faithfulness he gave, the righteousness that is available to us, to believe that it's true, that it's true for you. And and you can do that as a child. I did. Perhaps some of you did. I'm four years old. I had no idea what the rest of my life held. I had no idea. I wasn't even, maybe I was in kindergarten. I, I didn't know who my friends were going to be. I didn't know um, what things were going to happen. I didn't know that my sister was going to die not long after that. I, I didn't know that um, when I got to high school, things were going to be really hard and, and, and things like peer pressure. And, and, and I didn't know that uh, people really hurt you. And I didn't know how painful it was going to be when my grandmother died. And you don't know all of that, but it didn't matter. Because as that little boy simply said that prayer, he's part of the way of God. And as that boy grows, and as you grow in your life, there's going to be new challenges, new experiences. And you're going to look to God and say... Are, are, you, are you here too? This really hurts. I mean, when I, when I first believed in you, that was great, but this is new. This is different. This is harder. Are you here now in this pain? Are you here now in this rejection? Are you here now in, in this diagnosis? Are you here now in, in when, you know, I'm up to my ears in debt? Are you here now when my child is sick? Are you here now when someone that's close to you dies suddenly and it just doesn't make any sense? God's faithfulness never stops. And we have to continually come to Him. And we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption of grace. We are, notice there's that word, that three-letter word, all, A-L-L. -L. 
all justified freely. There are no other conditions. There's no condition on love. There's no condition on grace. There's no condition on salvation except that you come. You turn. You believe in what he's done for you. So to pull that verse apart a little bit, that from 22b to 24, there is no difference between... Now, he uses the word Jew and Gentile because that was the issue in that church. What is your issue in terms of us and them? We all have them if we're honest with ourselves. We have those who are on the in-group and there's the rest of the world. And, and, and this is very natural for humanity to do. Why do we have nations? Because there's people that live here and they're a little different than the people that live over there. So we're going to gather up ourselves and we're going to live our lives and maybe we'll get along okay, maybe we won't. And, you know... Sometimes we really don't get along and we're going to have to attack you or you attacked us. and It just goes on and on. There's us versus them. And sometimes it turns into war where people die. And other times it just turns into division and animosity and hatred. And Paul is saying there's no difference. All have sinned and all are justified freely if they simply believe. Well, they too, God? Wait, wait. I grew up in a Christian nation and those are Muslims. You don't mean them, do you? Well, sure, they can come. Well, what about, you know, what about those Democrats? <laughs> I don't want them in. Well, they're welcome too. Or maybe what about those Republicans? I don't, I don't want them. No, they're, they're welcome too. Or what about those gay people? Well, they're welcome too. What about those transgender people? Well, you know, they're welcome too. Wait a minute, God. Are you, are you saying they don't have to change before they come to you? And Jesus says, did you? God doesn't love us because we change. God loves us so we can change. And when we understand the depth and the truth of that in our own hearts, it helps us to treat other people in our lives with that same love. Why did Jesus say to love your enemy? Because we are so tempted to pull back and, and turn another person, another group of people into the enemy that we can leave there and let go and have some right to dismiss or even to hate because they're not like us. Because they don't believe like us. Oh, therefore, you know, pardon the use of the word, but it's, it's helpful. The hell with them. That's what hell was made for, right? People that reject you. And yet the heart of God is that this is for everyone. And then whatever change any person, no matter what category they've come from, whatever change needs to happen in their life is between them and God. And hopefully as we as the church welcome people from all walks of life, from all, from all stripes, from all ways, to just love them and to, to share in the love of Jesus and then learn together how best to live that out and where the changes are necessary. And sometimes the changes are tough. 
Sometimes those changes are excruciatingly, is that a word? Excruciatingly tough. But it's always based upon the love of God that has no difference, no in or out, no us and them, because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, so that's everybody. Don't forget that comma there, though. All fall short of the glory of God, but it goes on, and all are justified freely. Everyone who comes to God, no matter where they came from, is welcome. Everyone. We've got to get that through our heads, through our hearts. Because it's by His grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, the next couple of verses, and we'll wrap this up in a moment here, but God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Okay? To receive by faith. Not, not by works. And again... It is, so, so, so how does that, that verse sound if you, again, retranslate it, all right? Again, I'm not doing something outside of, of, uh, of good, a big long word, exegesis. It's basically what you do with the Bible and how you explain it to someone else, okay? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just as the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, now this is the NIV. Now, this is from a guy named N.T. Wright, who's a, a, a scholar, modern-day scholar, and uh, still alive and, and speaks and writes, and he has his own... Um, translation of the scriptures so um, I'm not saying he's the only one who's right by any means but a lot of people kind of agree especially this last statement here but, but let, me, let me show you that last verse was like this okay those verses now here's what how N.T. Wright translates the same words uh, God put Jesus forth as the place of mercy through his faithfulness by means of his blood he did this to demonstrate his covenant justice covenant means promise covenant justice through the passing over in the divine, in divine forbearance, patience, of sins committed beforehand. So the sin that was done beforehand, God's waiting around for Jesus to come and take care of it. This was to demonstrate his covenant justice in the present time, that is that he himself is in the right and that he declares to be in the right everyone who trusts in the faithfulness of Jesus, okay? So this says a lot there. I'm not going to go into detail about that, but it's that last line. Okay, so go back to that one. Um, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, or is it better understood to be in the right, everyone who trusts in the faithfulness of Jesus? The same idea I pointed out earlier. Okay, our faith and trust is in what? Christ has done that we can't do. The obedience that he gave as a completely undeserving one who went to the cross, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for all of us. So it is the faithfulness of Christ that holds us strong. It is the faithfulness of Christ that has given me uh, an incredible piece about going to the hospital Thursday, taking a nap and waking up and going home. Oh, by the way, they took your thyroid out. It's all good. That's how it's going to be. 
And, and it's God's faithfulness that provides that kind of, of, of peace and hope and comfort and security in our lives. And my belief, my faith, back to him, is simply saying, thank you for doing that for me. Help me to understand it and help me to live it out. It's not saying, do I have enough faith? Is this going to be okay? Oh, you have enough faith for me. And so I believe that, so let's work together. And again, he declares to be in the right, everyone who trusts in the faithfulness of Jesus. And then the last couple of verses, I uh, won't go into detail here, but look for that word faith um, several times. And the word justified comes up as well. And, and this is, again, the faith that it keeps pointing to is the faith, the faithfulness of Jesus. Good news for everyone. That's really what Paul's writing about now that he's gotten past all that bad news about the condition of mankind. And that is this grace that Christ, that Christ's forgiving love is faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him. Believe it. Father, may your word go forth in our lives. Thank you for it. Thank you for your son Jesus that has provided the righteousness that is accessible only through his faithfulness to us and our belief in that faithfulness. As we come to your table as your church this morning, bless the bread, bless the cup, that may we be reminded of what it took for all of this to happen. That a good man died on a cross, not just a good man, but the best man, the greatest man ever that gave his life willingly for us. Guide us as a church as we go through this time of worship and bless each of our homes and families, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.